over the last several weeks, we have studied pictures of Christ as they appear in the Old Testament to give to us a a glimpse of God's revelation of himself and of his son that began way back in the Garden in Eden. Jesus told his disciples as he walked with them on the road to Emmaus, the day of his resurrection, that he began at Moses to explain things about himself. And so we have tried to retrace some of his steps, perhaps of what he might have told to those friends of his as they walked that road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. We've looked at Adam and how he pictured the Lord Jesus. We looked at Abel, one of Adam and Eve's sons, their second son, and how he pictured the Lord Jesus. And then we've looked at last week Noah and the ark and how the ark pictured for us the Lord Jesus, a place of safety and salvation from sin and judgment. Today I want us to examine another Old Testament character well known by his name, Abraham, and examine what the scriptures describe for us about Abraham and how he gives us another picture of the Lord Jesus, helping us to get a broad view of the Lord Jesus, that help us understand him and see what he has accomplished and fulfilled on behalf of people like you and me. We find Abram starting out in the name Abram. God changed his name after a number of years to Abraham. That's how we most frequently know him and call him. But initially, God called him in his name of Abram. And I've printed out for you some verses that talk about his call from God. And so I'll read those. They're from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. And this is what we read. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The story of Abram actually begins at the tail end of Genesis chapter 11. It describes for us that he was the son of of a man by the name of Terah, if I remember correctly. And God spoke to Abram and said, Leave the land where you now live and go to a land that I will show you. The land where Abram and his family lived at the time of this call was what we now call Iraq. And Iran, right on the border between the two. Ur of the Chaldees was the city where he lived. And God appeared to Abram and said, follow me. Now at the time, Abram and his family worshipped idols. They knew not God. They had no relationship with God. They did not worship him. They had no knowledge of him. 
they worshipped idols. And God came and called Abram out of an idol-worshipping background and experience, called him to himself, follow me, and I will work in your life great wonders. The verses that I read describe for us God's promises that he made to Abram. And things that would happen to Abram in his life that would show God's work in his life. We read very quickly, of course, recognizing that if he was born on the earth, that he was of the seed of a woman. He was born human flesh, just like you and me. Nothing special about him. No unique characteristics that would draw him to God or that would draw God's attention to him. Just an ordinary man, just like you and me, of the seed of the woman. We find God calling him out and promising him, first of all, I will give you a land. I'm going to take you from where you now live and you follow me and I will take you to a new land that I will give to you and there I will make of you a great nation. In essence, God promised him a kingdom. God promised him a land, a territory over which he would govern and be the leader And he would have offspring who would populate that land. And he and his offspring would become a great nation. Now we read throughout several chapters in the book of Genesis, God renewing this promise to Abram. We find it repeated in Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17, Genesis chapter 22, God reappearing to Abram and reassuring him and reminding him that he had a land and a purpose for him in that land. In that land he would become a great nation. And not only would he become a great nation, but he would reproduce as part of his offspring kings and other nations. God was calling him to a kingdom over which he would be the head. As we read through the verses, we find also that it says, I will make your name great. I will give you a great name. In the time that Abram lived, he was recognized as a great man perhaps the wealthiest man on earth at that time, a man of great wealth and possessions, many flocks and herds of animals, a man with such a large retinue of people in his household that he had his own army. And when his nephew who had separated from him to plot out his own life in a different part of the land when he was captured by enemy kings Abram took his own army and pursued after them and destroyed ten kings and captured his nephew and great many goods and possessions 
as part of his conquest. Came back. And the king of the land where his nephew Lot lived came to him and recognized his his abilities and his authority and position in the land. Other kings of other nations revered him and honored him. Why don't you turn off the air? He had a great name. And his great name continues to this day. The Jewish people revere Abraham. And they call themselves children of Abraham. They call themselves also children of Israel, one of the descendants of Abraham. But they also hearken back to their founder, Abram. And they call themselves children of Abraham. And they hold that title in great reverence. God gave to Abram a great name, great reputation in the time that he lived and succeeding after him through generations until our day. We notice as we come to the end of these verses that God made a startling statement to him. Not only will I give you a land that you will possess and become a great nation. Not only will I give you a great name, but I am going to bless the whole earth through you. The whole earth. Not just the nation that I give you. Not just the land that I give you. And by the way, God spelled out specifically and clearly the land that he had in mind that he would give to Abraham and his descendants. But God promised him and said, I will bless the whole earth through you. All of the earth will be blessed by you. That, of course, would mean his physical offspring. God had promised him a great nation. Multitudes, nations would come from you and your descendants. But that would also mean people like you and me. We are not physically Jews. We are Gentiles. But God promised that we would receive a blessing through the line of Abraham. He said, all of the nations of the earth I will bless through you. Quite a heritage. Quite a blessing for this man, Abram. A great man. With a great name. With multitudes of offspring. Now that term in scripture has an interesting use. It comes from the word literally meaning seed. Like you would plant a seed in the garden, a flower, a plant, vegetables, fruit. You plant a seed and it grows. That's one of those words that also can be the plural at the same time that it is the singular. 
it can mean both. It can mean the plural, seed, meaning many, or it can be seed individually, one seed. And we find through Abraham's offspring, we find both. We find multitudes of people coming from the line of Abraham and Sarah. But we find it coming from one son, Isaac. Now he had other sons and daughters. So there were multitudes of peoples through those other sons and daughters that he had. But the line that God chose to bless came from one son, Isaac. And we find that Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And we find that Esau had multitudes of children. He had 12 children, 12 sons. And Jacob had 12 sons and other daughters as well. But we find that God chose Jacob and not Esau. And so we find following through the line of Abraham, this mixture use of the word seed, so that it means multitudes, it also means one, or a singular use as well. Now as we look at this description of this great man, Abraham, we can't help but notice along with it the revelations, the hints that it gives to us about the character of God. We find God as sovereign. Why did he choose Abraham? Abraham had two brothers. Why didn't he choose one of his other brothers? Why did he choose Abraham? We like to think that we are the captains of our own lives. And that we are sovereign in control of all of our destinies. God says, no, I'm in charge. I am sovereign. I will choose Abraham because I want to choose Abraham. And he chose Abraham because he wanted to. For his own reason, for his own purposes, as part of his plan. So we see the sovereignty of God. We see the sovereignty of God picking a man who worshipped idols. Who did not know God. Who did not pursue after him. And it reveals to us and reminds us that salvation is all of God, not man. It is God's work. It is God revealing himself to us. It is God calling us. It is God making provision for us. Just as he did for Abraham. We also find a description of God's character here as grace. You understand the meaning of grace, don't you? Grace means kindness or goodness to someone who does not deserve it. Someone who has not earned it and cannot earn it. God showed grace to Abraham. 
he called him out to himself and he revealed himself to Abraham that he might make of Abraham a great man and a great nation by grace. Abraham didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. In fact, all of his life he had worshipped something other than God. And God showed grace to Abraham and called him out. We also see God's faithfulness. Because God had promised to Adam and Eve a champion. And we begin to see God's revelation of how he would provide the champion for his creation. And so all along through scripture, and including this description and brief summary of Abraham, we find God's faithfulness. He hasn't forgotten his plan and purpose. Now, why would Moses write this? And why would God move Moses to write for us this history about Abraham and God's dealing with Abraham? Well, clearly he would want us to know about his own character. So he, God wants us to see a description of him that he has revealed to us that we might know him, that we might understand him that we might enjoy him, that we might trust him. It also reveals to us God's plan of redemption. For Abraham marks the turning point in all of Scripture. Everything in Scripture that comes after these verses in Genesis chapter 12. And God's dealing with mankind, you can trace back to these three verses. And God's call of Abraham. That through Abraham, he might begin to fulfill the promise that he gave to Adam and Eve in the garden in Eden. Time of beginnings in the garden, creation, God revealing and manifesting himself and his glory to his creation, fellowshipping with Adam and Eve, mankind upon the earth, the beginning of marriage, the beginning of the Sabbath. And most horrifically, the beginning of sin in the Garden in Eden. We find also in the Garden in Eden the beginning of death. For God had said to Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat of that fruit that I tell you not to eat, you'll die. Dying, you will die. The beginning of death. We also see the beginning of grace. And God's promise of a plan. I will send someone, the seed of a woman, who will crush the head of the serpent. Up until the time of Abraham, God dealt with a few individuals. He dealt with Abel. He dealt with Seth. 
He dealt with Enoch. He dealt with Noah. But now, with God's call of Abraham, he now begins to reveal that he will work with a nation of peoples. And through them, he will begin to fulfill the plan that he had when he created it all. When he created the heavens and the earth and all things visible and invisible, he had a plan and a purpose for that. He intended for his glory to fill the earth. And he commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish the earth. Now most of us take that to mean just to have a lot of children. (laughs) And it certainly means that. Replenish the earth, multiply, have children. But that word replenish means much more than that. It means to subdue the earth and to take with you as you subdue the earth that which you have. What did they have? They had God's glory. They knew God intimately, personally. And God intended for Adam and Eve and for their offspring to take that glory of his throughout all the earth. So that all the earth might know that God is God and worship Him. So when Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't just the taking of the forbidden fruit, but it was a rejection and a denial to obey God's command to replenish the earth with His glory. Now, if you haven't figured this out about God already, I would suggest to you that when God has a plan... He intends to fulfill it. He doesn't have plan B and plan C and plan D. He has one plan and he fulfills that plan. And he will do whatever it takes to fulfill that plan. He planned when he created the heavens and the earth to worship and to fellowship on earth and to manifest himself to his creation throughout all the earth. That plan has not changed. He still plans to do that. And the plan through which he would fulfill it started with Abraham. Through Abraham and his offspring, he would bless the nations of the earth. A few moments ago, I mentioned that the word seed has two different uses. One is a plural use. Another one is a singular use. I would like to mention to you the ultimate use as a singular word. The seed that God promised to Abraham, through whom all of the nations of the earth would be blessed was fulfilled in one man Jesus Jesus is the seed of Abraham you can trace his genealogy back through the centuries and through the years and you come to Abraham and then you can trace it back further from Abraham back to Seth the child of Adam and Eve Jesus came 
to fulfill the plan that he had initially outlined to Abraham. To bless the nations of the earth with his presence. And he did so by sending his son Jesus, the seed of a woman. In the fullness of time, the scriptures tell us, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. And we all celebrate in December at Christmas time the birth of Christ, born of a woman. The seed of the woman that God promised to Adam and Eve in the garden, that he promised to Abraham through his seed, he would bless all the nations of the earth, that seed is Christ. And through Christ, God intends to bless all of the nations of the earth. We find an interesting correlation between Abram and Christ. Because if we look at the description of Abram from Genesis chapter 12, we find those same things in Christ. So that Abraham gives to us a early picture of Jesus. Jesus has a kingdom. And we find some verses that I've listed for you on the handout page that remind us that Jesus was a king. When he stood before Pilate on that day of his crucifixion, Pilate said, are you really the king of the Jews? And he said, yes, I am. You have said so. And then we read in John chapter 12, verse number 13, the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem on what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. They celebrated and called him the king of the Jews. Here he comes. This is our king. Then we read in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the description that Paul gave to his protege Timothy, calling Jesus the king of kings. No king like this king. And then we read again in 1 Timothy chapter 6, that Paul describes Jesus as the only sovereign, the only king, the king of kings and lord of lords. And then in Revelation, we read again a description given of the Apostle John describing the Lord Jesus and how the peoples in heaven, how they call Jesus. And they call him the Lamb, the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the earth. He is Lord of lords. He is King of kings. Like Abraham, Jesus has a kingdom. Then we read also like Abraham who had a great name. Jesus also had and does have a great name. Notice in Revelation chapter 19 a description of Jesus and it says on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings. Oh, what a name. What a name. King of Kings. There is no other king but Jesus. 
What a name. And then it tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him. Referring back, if you would read back in the context of, of this verse, he's talking about the Lord Jesus. And it says, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. My friends, if you have not bowed the knee to Jesus in this lifetime, there will come a day when you will bow the knee. Only this time, when you bow the knee, he will consign you and condemn you to endless judgment. So that now is the time to recognize him and to bow before him and call him the name that he owns. The name of Jesus. And bow before him. Submit to his authority as the sovereign of all things in this life. So that at that day of judgment when every knee will bow, you will do so gladly, willingly, joyfully. And he will then send you to an eternal paradise with him. So like Abraham, who had a great name, Jesus has a great name. And then we find also that as God said to Abraham, nations will come out of you, you will bless all nations God designed that that would come through Jesus. And we find in Matthew chapter 28, the assignment that he gave to his disciples as he ascended up into heaven. He said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Boy, that's a king, isn't it? Isn't that a sovereign? All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Now he's got an assignment for them. Go. As you go, make disciples of all nations. Not just the Jewish nation, but all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And then we read in Revelation chapter 7 the fulfillment of it all and we read the nations. The nations. Look at it. It says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. On that day, some from every tribe and nation and tongue and peoples will gather together to enjoy the presence and glory of God on the earth forever. God will fulfill his plan. 
that which he described to Abraham in the beginning and that Abraham pictures for us, he will fulfill and has placed into operation through his son, Jesus. Because God has fulfilled his plan through Jesus Christ in fulfillment of the promise that he gave to Adam and Eve in the garden in Eden and then confirmed to Abraham that would fulfill the plan in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must trust and come to God's provision for sinners like you and me. Jesus, his son. The one through whom he would bless all the nations of the earth. The one through whom it says he would reconcile all things together. We cannot reconcile ourselves back to God and somehow fix the breach that exists between God and us. We can only overcome that breach through Jesus Christ, who as our substitute paid the penalty and covered the breach so that through faith in Christ we can come back to God be restored a new creation not after the first Adam oh we live now after that image and we suffer don't we in that day we will experience a new creation after the last Adam the Lord Jesus who renews us by his Holy Spirit, conforming us unto his image, making us new creatures. That all begins through faith and trust upon the provision he made for us through the seed of Abraham, culminating in Jesus Christ. We can have a variety of responses to these truths. To some of us, it brings great joy and praise and thanksgiving because we have trusted the one whom God has provided for us, Jesus, his son. And we have found the reality of what he promised to be true. We have become New creatures. Are we all the way there yet? No, but we're on the way. We can look back in our lives and see the changes that he has made and how we have become increasingly like Christ. And so as we contemplate these truths, we have joy and peace and thanksgiving for what he has done for us. Perhaps some of you don't have that joy and that peace because you have yet to trust and come to the provision that God has made for people like you. Don't, don't, don't dismiss this as some idle story. 
Examine it. Study it. Examine your own life and the failure that you have experienced to somehow salve your conscience and to somehow reconcile yourself back to God and you know within your own heart and mind how short you come. I would call upon you today to come to the one that he promised and has provided. Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the only Savior that God will provide and has provided for us. Come to him today and find in your own experience the fulfillment of his promises. Let's close with prayer, shall we?